Dragons, or if this is your first time with us, welcome. I want to say thank you so much for being here with us today. Time is truly the most precious resource any of us have, and the fact that you've chosen to spend some of yours with us is humbling, and we never take it for granted. Today, we finish up the three-part podcast series with my friend, and now possibly yours, Barbara Schulte. In the final episode of her series, she talks about finding love in the most unexpected of places, the test that helped her sort out her life's direction, and much more. Let's go ahead and listen in. Well, I'd like to uh, I'd like to talk about how you met the love of your life. I would like to talk about that some because uh, it was a very interesting time. Uh, you know, today I, I was talking with my son, uh, my oldest son, uh, the other day, and uh, you know he has no idea that that a time existed before the internet, oh. <laughs> right? Happy and so, uh, yeah, and so th- there are some similarities. Uh, you know, you. Well, 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 let's get to that. Let, let, let's just talk about it. So um, how did you meet Eric? Well, thanks again to Jeff Kelly. <laughs> uh, hmm. He was always on the computer at the college, and I used to tease him about needing a catheter line because I don't know when he peed or ate or anything because he was just always on the computer. And so he took to showing me what he was doing and how he was talking to these people from Sweden, and he got me on that muck. Uh, it was called Quest. And, mm-hmm. uh, and set me up and showed me how to do it. And pretty soon I was coding, quote unquote, I mean, it's baby coding, but um, coding my various, uh, my, my, my space, basically, uh, on this mm-hmm. muck. And so yeah, you just, you would, you would have to, what was it called slip, you'd have to use a modem and you'd slip in and Remember slip? Yeah, you, you, you'd have to, uh, I don't remember all the technical terms in regards to getting connected back in the day. I mean, I, I remember, it's funny because I remember, you know, when the 14.4 BOD modem came yes. out and, and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't, I don't remember all the little pieces because you have to remember, I, I didn't really get into IT yeah. until many, many years later. It was accidental in fact uh so even though i was around it and aware of some of those things uh i remember the muds and the mucks but that's because you introduced me to them and you introduced me to them because you had gotten on there and started building your own little fantasy world i did and this was in 1993 and uh and we, my ex-husband and I ended up purchasing a computer, which was very expensive back then. Uh, but we got this computer, and um, and it, I remember it was March, March of 1993. I had a dream that I met this man who had long red hair, and that I had just bought these earrings. And in real life, I had bought these earrings um, that were dolphins. And in my dream, I gave him one of the dolphin earrings. And when I woke up, I thought, I thought, man, you know, I'm never going to be happy in this marriage. I'm 27 years old. And if I'm ever going to have a life that I want, I'm going to have to make it myself. And one of those I, I, I can't be married to this man. I can't see myself being married to this man for the rest of my life. I can't do it. And so I approached him and I said, hey, listen, we both know that we're not, you know, we get along okay, but we're not each other's soulmates. And I just want you to know that if you ever find your soulmate, I will let you go with my blessings. And I would hope that you would do the same for me. And he said he would. 
And so cool, but that that basically opened the door for him to start looking for his soulmate actively. And then he was on the computer all the time uh, looking for his soulmate, which, you know, he finally found somebody online and that turned into a big debacle. But meanwhile, I'm just playing on this mock no big deal. And then one day, come about August, late August, early September, um, this this dog appears in my world named Pongo, and uh, and normally if a person played a character that was too far out there for me, I, I didn't want anything to do with them because it just didn't seem authentic to me. Uh, and so to have this dog, this person acting like a dog, would normally have been irritating to me, but he he barked so intelligently. <laughs> the things you keep in mind, this was back in the day when it was just text-based and we were looking at a black screen with white text on it. And so the things that he was doing, he would it would pop up on my screen and it would say things like, uh, Pongo runs around in circles barking maniacally, except way more clever than that because as you know, Eric is very loquacious and, uh, gifted when it comes to the language so uh, so anyway this dog's barking and and being clever and stuff and so I don't even know what possessed me to interact with the dog but I did and I offered to take the dog back to my my quote home unquote I'm making air quotes here like anybody can see it <laughs> uh, but uh but yeah to my to my yellow submarine my world that I built and and at some point he started acting like like you know approaching me like a human and we just got to talking and and before you know it I was at that sound of that modem that screeching noise was just would make my heart beat faster because I knew I would be getting connected to him and um and one day he called me and through the course of the conversation it was our first conversation together he sang this German piece uh to me uh, called the Errol King and it's one of my favorite pieces and it has three voices a father an evil spirit and a son and the father is trying to get his son from this evil spirit and and it's all done in German and Eric's saying all three voices in German with characterizations that you could differentiate between the father and the son and this and the and the ghost monster creature and I was just blown away that number one he even knew the song at all because who else does and number two he could sing it flawlessly oh my god and that was just it I was in love with him that was before I had even met him I was in love with him uh, and then we found out that we had just crazy things in common we were both currently in college as English majors we were both vegetarians um, we both grew up right next to our high school his dad played organ for St. Mary's Catholic Church in Saxony, Iowa. My stepmom played organ for St. Mary's Catholic Church in Glen, Illinois. Uh, so we're both Catholic. Um, he's got an Aunt Barbara. I've got an Uncle Eric. Um, oh, he was an Iowa All-State tenor. I was the only female Arizona All-State tenor. So... Wow. Yeah, we just had all these crazy things in common. And so we were just like, we need to meet. And so November 5th, 1993, uh, I, we decided to meet halfway. He lived in Iowa. I lived in Arkansas. He lived right on Highway 65. I lived, oh, that's the other thing. When, when we grew up, we lived on the same highway, Highway 20, except I was in Illinois and he was in Iowa. But you could just get on Highway 20 and then you'd go, go right by his house. And here it was, we, when we found each other, we were both living on Highway 65. I was living in 
Valley Springs, as you know, and uh, mm -hmm. he was living in Iowa. So all we had to do was get on 65 and we were going to meet in the middle in Sedalia, Missouri. And uh, he got lost, which come to, come to find out is a theme <laughs> for Eric. <laughs> Uh, he got lost and he was late getting there, but um, just in case he was some kind of creep, I had a woman that I'd also met online who lived up there by Sedona or Sedalia. Um, she met me to be sure to go with me to make sure he wasn't, you know, some pervert or something. And it's kind of funny because we met at a country kitchen and when I walked in, he stood up, he was across the room, he was stood up from his booth and he was wearing black jeans and this wolf shirt and a gray floppy hat and a black jeans jacket and, uh, and, and some chucks. And he gave me the warmest hug that I had ever experienced. I don't know if you've ever been hugged by him, but he doesn't care if you're male or female, you will feel fully loved when Eric hugs you. And I did, and I sat down next to him, or across from him with my female friend, and after about 15 minutes, she's like, you two are going to be fine, and she left, and that was, that was the beginning. You know, he told us that story as well. Uh, oh, did he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, about, about being, um, I think he was late, wasn't he? Oh, right? yeah, he went to Kansas City. All he had to do was take 65 <laughs> down to Sedona, he ends up in Kansas City. He was like three hours late. <laughs> Okay, so for the audience's sake, um, I just want to let everybody know that a, that a mud is is a text based version of uh, of an online game. It was the kind of the original multi user multi uh, role playing like game. Dungeons and online, Dragons. Online. Did it stand for Ex multi user multi user? Dungeon? dungeon yeah so so mud stood for multi-user dungeon uh, and then muck uh, actually was a play on the term uh, it, it actually stood for multi-user created kingdom oh created i always thought it was chat uh, well, there there are well, there, there's variants. Uh, it, it could it could stand for multi-user created kingdom, multi-user chat kingdom, or multi-user construction kit. Actually, uh, oh. in, any one of those three uh, could could be there. And so the muds were the ones where somebody had created. You know, there were programmers that had created the whole world, and the mucks were the ones where you could do some of your own creation, as you so uh, put it earlier. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, kind of interesting there, uh, but not everybody knows what the muds and the mucks are these days because I don't, you know, uh, unless, unless you understand the term, you died of dysentery, the odds <laughs> are probably, you probably don't know what text-based, uh, role-playing games are. So yeah. And when, I, just and when I met him, I gave him that earring and we have it under glass hanging on our mm. wall in a shadow box frame. How how did you know he was the one? And Carol King, that, that's he a, sang that song. I'm telling you, Elliot, he that, sang that, that song. Was it. That was, yeah. I mean, there's there's a dirty term I could use, but <laughs> but I won't. <laughs> Let's just say yeah, it, I had fun. a visceral, like a like a very pleasant reaction to that. <laughs> I gotcha. I gotcha. Uh, interesting. Now, and, and you two have been, uh, and and I talked with Eric about this too. I've I've always been very fascinated. Uh, by uh, the two of you in your relationship, because it's just, it's always been so strong. Yeah. It's always been so, uh, I mean, not to say that y'all haven't had your struggles, uh, you know, I mean, being that, that I've been friends with y'all for so long, uh, you know, I've, I've been there for some of that and, and talked with both of you as you were going through struggles and things, you know, but it's just been so amazing to me because as a general rule, I don't buy the term soulmate. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, 
but you guys kind of break that mold. Like, I mean, like you're the exception that proves the the rule. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's really, um, it's so nice to see. Let me put it that way. It's just so nice to see because life wasn't rosy for you guys after you got married. No, we, either. we were literally homeless. We lived in a cabin with no running water or electricity for a month up there in Christina with Christina. Yeah, we wow. were very, very poor, and uh, the kids didn't know we were homeless. We made it fun for them, but it was very nerve-wracking <laughs> our first uh, our first several years together. Poverty's not fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and it's interesting because you and I had, had lost touch, and for everybody that – Everybody in, that's out there and listening, uh, you know, this was before cell phones. This was before Facebook. Mm -hmm. You couldn't just, you know, keep, you couldn't just Google somebody and find out where they were. And so you and I had lost touch. And so you, you and Eric got married and I was not aware. Yeah, yeah. At all. And, uh, and Eric, Eric and I told the story uh, on, on one of his three episodes <laughs> that, uh, uh, you know, about how we got together and, and, and so forth. Uh, but I find it interesting because you had told him to, you know, look, look for, for me you, at Rock yeah. Ten. I don't know how I knew um, you were working there. Uh, well, ben. you know, the great... I was friends with Ben. Oh, I'll bet that's I'll bet that's what it is. Yeah. I'll bet that's I'll bet that's what it was. Uh, ben was a, a mutual friend of ours uh, who um, passed away untimely a few years ago, uh, and he was. Uh, uh, he was a fun individual. Someday I'll find a way to really work him into the podcast. Maybe I'll do a, a show where we all remember him because he, yeah. he was really uh, amazing. Um, one of my best friends ever. I put in him fact. in that memory book that I built for Eric's 50th birthday. I put a, a picture of uh, he and Ben together. Just, yeah. Yeah. It's it's hard for me to talk about without just bawling, actually, <laughs> because I miss him every single day. But uh, yeah, so and and I remember I'm you know you guys, I love your story because from my perspective, you guys are kind of the the quintessential American dream because you guys have worked so hard and so long and overcome so many things. Like I remember when you guys uh, moved up to uh, Missouri and Eric was, had started working into the information technology field. And I think you had bought a house, right. And or maybe it was a mobile home. We bought a mobile home. It was brand new. Right. And, and then you rented it out after. Oh God. Yeah. Oh, that was bad. And that didn't go well. Did it? It did not. It did not. We, uh, the, 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 the semi-funny thing that happened was one of our uh, renters raised ducks and chickens in one of the bedrooms. That was, that was the funny one. And the sad one was uh, we had a couple that allowed a baby to die. The, it actually made front page news that this baby had died in our home. And that's because those people were basically living like complete pigs like the house was uninhabitable and it had been brand new mere years before like five years earlier it had been brand new uh but they the the yeah. prosecuting attorney had determined that they had not uh done anything with the baby fed watered changed anything uh for at least i think 24 hours or something and and the baby died and the state the city of nixa didn't do anything about it until i started making waves and I got the newspaper involved and it turned into a big thing. But, but anyway, yeah, that was, and then we ended up having to declare bankruptcy and it was a very rough time. Very rough. Yeah, but you know, the yeah. things that have happened to us have always been at the hands of other people and it's never been a case of us 
like we've never had a lot of the difficulties that other couples have like we always have been completely head over heels we've never said the word separate or divorce or anything like that we've never even come that close in fact I can't even remember the last time we even had an argument um and I'm not to say we didn't initially but but yeah we we have always had each other's back and he's he's my best friend and that's a big part of it we are each other's best friend and that could be a bad thing you know I know some people are like they're codependent uh it's I can I can do things on my own and so can he but we just have more fun when we're together that's how I ended up going to a bachelor party. He didn't want to go unless I could come. So that's how I got to a strip club. And uh, that was another experience that <laughs> that a lot of women have never had. It was very amusing. How was it going to a bachelor party? It was really fun. Uh, I, I felt bad for the women mainly because they their hearts weren't in it. You could tell that that if anybody just walked by them and they felt a breeze, they would start gyrating. I was, it was just sad to me, but but it was also it was very interesting. It's, I'm glad I did. Yeah, yeah, it could be. <laughs> but yeah, uh, we just have a lot of fun together. We get each other on a level that I, he knows me better than I know myself. Sometimes I will be upset about something and I won't be able to articulate it because even when I was just like when I was 17 I don't think I have any better tools really maybe a little bit better but I'm not good at articulating things like that I will be upset about something and I'll ask him why am I upset about this <laughs> and he just spells it all out and I'm like oh my god that's it yes he just knows me yeah. so well and you know my cousin um who's also my best man by my best friend and she was my maid of honor at my wedding uh she ended up marrying eric's best man from the wedding which i also predicted was going to happen and that's another awkward awkward story because our wedding was basically taken up with uh these two lovebirds deciding that that they had just met and they ended up getting married fast forward another year they end up getting married um and they had a very rocky relationship both both wedding rings were flushed down the toilet within the first four months so yeah uh but they used to talk about us all the time and my cousin told me about these conversations that they always had and how every time she says anything about us that her husband's like well yeah that's what the, that's a face they put towards the public we don't know what they're like behind closed doors and i'm just here to say that it's worse behind closed doors it is disgustingly smushy ushy, cushy <laughs> it's it's bad it's bad like yeah no i can i can verify that because you know i lived with y'all for a while when i was trying you know i was working with eric on his business and and that just it was the most pertinent thing you know a lot of work was done out of the home yeah. and and you know I, not that i ever was privy to any bedroom activities <laughs> or anything like that i, I want to make sure that everyone <laughs> yeah. understands yeah, no, no, no. that's not what we're talking about here it's just that yeah yeah you two are sickeningly in love and and have been ever for years. as long as i've known yeah just a few days you know yeah, I mean, congratulations on that. I mean, that's uh, that's that's quite a feat. But aside from it being quite a feat, you know, congratulations because you've enjoyed it so oh, much. Yeah. You know, you've en you've enjoyed that ride uh, with each other uh, for so long, and that, you know, that's a really great thing. You know, I, it, it's one thing to have a, a long-lasting relationship and so forth, but it's just another level of of beauty when it's one that you really enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine going through life without him. My kids know that if anything happens to him, I probably won't be far behind. 
you know, it's, we've, we've had conversations, Eric and I, yeah, if it's, if at all possible, we will leave this world together. Yeah, I, 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 I could see that. Um, so now you alluded earlier on, uh, about some health issues and stuff. How has that, and you've gone through, how has that strained or, or been like, how has that affected? Effect is the word I was looking for. How has that affected the, you know, the relationship? Well, it's, Eric is very, very, very supportive and he's more, I'm kind of like, I guess, the stereotypical guy when it comes to doctors and medicine and taking care of myself and all that. I don't, I don't care. I'm not going to go to the doctor. He goes to the doctor if he's had a headache for an hour. <laughs> Maybe not that bad, but yeah, he's very, he's very good about his medical taking care of his medical needs. So uh, he's always been my biggest supporter in trying to get the help I need because I have um, Lyme disease and uh, fibromyalgia and hemochromatosis, which is a blood disorder uh, called mm -hmm. the, uh, the Celtic curse. So, so basically I'm in pain a lot, but Eric is, he's always there. He understands. He really tries his darndest to, to let me sleep when I need to sleep. You know mm -hmm. what a klutz he is, so that doesn't always work, but <laughs> but he really tries. So yeah, and he's always yeah. he loves to go to the doctor with me, and I'm always scared that a doctor is going to think that that he's my abusive husband because he's got to accompany me and he's got to ask all these questions, and you know, I, I it probably looks kind of suspicious, maybe I don't know, but it's just because he cares so much and he's he's always there to ask the questions that I won't think to ask and write things down and. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's, I wish I could clone him and give him to, to others, a female version as well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with uh, people going to the doctor together and so forth. I think that's, I think that's smart because then you do remember to ask the questions that somebody else doesn't, or you have questions of your own. And we do that too, uh, when we had the opportunity, especially, you know, if there's somebody to watch the boys or something like that, um, you know, and I always try to accompany Jana on when we were going through pregnancies and stuff like that. So I don't find that weird. I think that's a, a nice touch for sure. So what are you doing these days? I, I mean, now y'all moved from Missouri, you're down in, in Florida now. Yeah. Uh, and so, so are, are you, are you still doing the, the teaching thing or you, have you found something else well, you're doing? I, or? I quit teaching. I resigned from my position in 2012. I taught high school for six years. I loved it for the first five years because I was teaching that program to at-risk kids, helping them find jobs, helping them learn about themselves and learn about others. And, and it was my own program and I built it from the ground up and I just, I was only allowed 15 students per class and it was just beautiful and, and it was great. Um, but then my sixth year uh, funding was pulled from that for that program. And uh, at that point, I wasn't working for the school. I was working for uh, a nonprofit that was basically the umbrella organization that would dole out these grants. So um, the, the funding was pulled and the school fought to hire me on full time in the middle of the year. I actually ended up working for free for several weeks if not several months because the school couldn't afford to pay me <laughs> but I just love my job so much and it was November you don't leave your class in November that, uh, but anyway um, so I loved it my first five years and then the sixth year the funding was pulled the school wanted to keep me and my degree was in English so I would next thing you know I'm teaching at-risk freshman boys 
And oh, fun. if anything makes you want to slit your throat, because they are like lifers in prison. They see four years of hell ahead of them and, you know, what's the worst that can happen in their minds. And so I'm fortunate that they really liked me because I heard what they were doing to other at-risk teachers, but still it was, it was bad enough. And that's when I became really disillusioned with the educational system. And, uh, you know, those boys should not have been sitting there learning about Shakespeare. They needed to be out learning about construction or plumbing or something hands-on. It's just cruel. It's cruel. Why, why, why do they need that type of uh, education? Because you know, you're, you're looking at kids that were raised on a farm and that's what they like to do. They want to, to run the tractor and they don't care about Shakespeare. Those boys were all functionally illiterate for one thing, and they needed to work with their hands. They needed those skills. They did not need to be learning about algebra and, and Shakespeare. It was, I felt I, I, there were days, there were literally days when I would open the door and let them run <laughs> like, like wild dogs and just get, get some of that out. That's cruel to make them sit there for hours every day and just have, you know, that five minute break between classes. I just think it's just horrible. I think our schools are mini prisons in some ways. And I really started to feel it with those boys. It was, it's just wrong. And, and then I heard, uh, I did couch surfing, Eric and I did couch surfing. And our very first boys that stayed with us were from the Netherlands. And they told us that everybody goes through eighth grade together. And then uh, you either go to a three-year, four-year, or five-year high school. And if you do the three-year program, you are learning skills that are going to help you in a vocational uh, way as you graduate so you'll be learning math that pertains to plumbing for instance if you go to the four-year high school if you do that route then you'll be uh, learning basically it's like for middle management or or something like that and then the the uh, five years of high school are for your doctors and your lawyers and such and I just thought that makes so much more sense think how much happier these boys would have been had they known that they were learning skills that were going to help them in things that they wanted to do in life and that really I got so disillusioned and so yeah well, you know, the, the interesting thing about the education system, uh, at least here in the U.S., uh, and, and probably throughout the world, but, you know, all I can really speak to is is the things around here. But I, I listened to uh, Seth Godin is, is one of my favorite uh, guys to listen to speak about things. And one of the points that he makes is that our education system, as it currently is incarnated, is a really a holdover from the industrial age. Yes. We needed... We needed uh, to teach kids how to sit still and do repetitive tasks for eight hours a day so that they could work in factories. Mm -hmm. And now the world is changing, and that's not what we need. Uh, we need different things, but the education system really hasn't caught up with that. It's, it's really, and before, and before the industrial revolution, uh, we were educated differently as well. You know, it, it's really not, you know, sometimes we think that, that our education system, this is just the way it's done. Uh, but in all reality, it's only the way it's been done for a few hundred years. It's not yeah. the way it's been done. And it, it's not necessarily what's going to lead us into the future either. Right. I think, I think we're, I think you're absolutely right in, in the sense that we need more, we need less stigma and more focus on vocational uh, 
careers. I, yeah, I will tell you when I, my very first year teaching, um, I had a many brilliant students just oh my gosh I was just in awe of them and I was wanting them to go to college I was helping them fill out FAFSAs and you know going on college tours with them and this kind of stuff and then I read an article that's that basically said what you said you know uh, not every kid that is smart needs to go to college and I had been forcing these kids who probably really needed to be just wanted to do vocational things. I, oh, yeah. So my philosophy changed by my second year of teaching high school. And, and I tried to really see where their skills and aptitude and, and interests were before forcing them into college. <laughs> well, and, and what's really interesting about that, about that is... Uh, there are many vocations, uh, many, many vocations that are, 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 you know, from a vocational school, many trade schools, I guess, um, where you, you can make six figures a year yeah. doing those and things. And then you've got people it's like not, Eric that didn't even get a degree. Well, he ended up getting his AA, but uh, finally. I never got a degree. Yeah, I didn't think so. Yeah. No, yeah, see, I, I, I don't fine. have a degree. Uh, I've I've been very very fortunate in in my <laughs> in my many careers. And you were also <laughs> self motivated to learn, and that helps. Well, you know the thing is, is that I think the most important. The, I'll tell you what I try to do with my boys more than anything else is I, I I try and I hope I I I hope I don't fail here. I try to get them interested in learning. Yes. Like I want them to be interested in learning because they're interested to learn. Yes. Not because they're forced. No, to it's do not. It. Exactly. I, I don't, you know, uh, you know, my, my, my oldest is nine. Jeez. Uh, we have, yeah, I know. <laughs> exactly. Um, my oldest is nine and, and we've already had discussions about politics. Good. Not, not because I necessarily brought it up to him, but because he asks me questions and he wants to learn, you yeah. know, he wants to understand, uh, you know, why some of the things that he sees. Uh, and when we actually try to keep politics away we uh, my wife and i have this belief that uh, innocence is a precious thing and there's plenty of time for the world mm. to steal it from you mm. so we try as best we can not to uh you know have the news on while they're while they're awake or you know those kinds okay. of things but you know he watches uh, kids youtube or youtube sometimes and uh in he'll see commercials about uh, well, I'm, he came to me one day and asked me about a Mike Bloomberg commercial and, you know, I mean, and you know, and he's nine. That's great. Right? That's great that he can go to you and ask you too. Yeah. You know, the one thing I, we always told, we always told our boys that, uh, and we, we do it all the time that, uh, that they can come and ask us about anything and, and we want them to, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, there are very few things that, that we really draw lines in the sand on. But but we we draw lines in the sand on on hiding things from us and lying yes. to us. Uh, other than other than that, you know, it doesn't matter what they ask about uh, because we we want them to be curious. We want them to learn because that's the thing that I felt that my father did best with me. I'm always curious to learn about new things and different yeah, things. Yeah, your and dad like, is a like, Renaissance man. <laughs> well, he certainly has been, and you know, he has. He just instilled a love of learning. 
Yeah, I would just want to know things, you know, and I'm curious about things. And that's what I try to instill in my boys. Uh, you know, I, I don't really care what career they decide to choose or if they choose a career or any of that kind of stuff, you yeah, know. Yeah, uh, I didn't I mean, with my kids either. You know, I think everybody finds their own path eventually, for sure. Mm -hmm. So, uh, to circle back around, and we'll, we'll kind of wrap this up because I want to be cognizant of your time, but... Um, you know, what, what are you doing these days? So, like, I, yeah, when I came down here, I was a social worker for what you guys would know as CASA. Uh, okay. With foster kids down here, they call it the Guardian Ad Litem Program. And so I was mm -hmm. a social worker and I had a caseload of about 23 kids of my own. And then I also managed about 24 uh, volunteers. And it was a highly stressful job, and there are all kinds of stories that go along with that. Um, but uh, it's kind of cool. I've got a girl, one of one of my first cases, and and I'm still friends with her, and we talk to each other all the time. And I'm actually talking about co-signing a loan for this, a car loan for this girl. That's that's the faith I have in her. She is. She is amazing. Um, so that was cool. I, I met some cool people, but it was so stressful. And the things these kids go through, oh, it's bad. And it, and it just felt like I was inserting myself into people's lives. Like I'd have to do home visits on kids or on parents whose kids were taken from them. And, you know, nobody wants you coming into their house and I just grew to really hate it and be really stressed out and then you have to go to court I was in court all the time as well um, speaking in front of judges on behalf of the children and so it was very it was very educational and I learned a lot it was very sad and and it just really started getting to me like I couldn't sleep at night and I was on two antidepressants, anti, one antidepressant, one anti-anxiety. And I'm like, you know, I probably shouldn't be on these pills just because of a job. <laughs> so yeah. I just totally, I decided that my, the majority of my life has been spent like helping people and I get too invested and I, yeah, you know, you've seen it, taking in kids, I all have. that business. And, and, and it just finally got to me and so I'm like I want a job where I don't go home and worry about somebody and so now I work for a town of about 15,000 people that is about 10 minutes from me and uh, and I'm a senior administrative assistant in a finance department but uh, because the town is so small like I was like I mentioned earlier, not not in this podcast, but to you, Elliot, uh, I yeah, yeah, do yeah. things like design a, a war memorial that's going to go up in probably another week, and I designed a bike rack that's going to be out in front of City Hall for years to come, and it's unique. I design all our uh, flyers and things like that, internal flyers. I get to do a whole bunch of stuff, and I don't go home and worry about anybody. So that's that's. I bet that's that's quite the relief, actually. It is. It is. All right. Well, let me ask you just a couple a couple questions here, and, and then we'll wrap it up. But I, I am curious uh, on a couple things. Um, if you were going to recommend one book to somebody, uh, what book would that be? And you can choose for I mean for whatever reason. There, it's there's no context here. I'm just curious. Huh. Well, I do recommend books frequently, but I base it on you know. Uh, the, my audience, so to speak. So I sure. Well, so let me ask it this way: if uh, if you didn't have any idea who you were going to be recommending a book to, 
Is there any book that you would recommend uh, that might make their life better in some way? Yeah, shape or yeah. Form? Actually, uh, a book that made a big difference in my life is called um, "Your Erroneous Zones" okay. by Wayne Dyer. I'm sure mm -hmm. you know him. You probably even know the book, don't you? <laughs> uh, I'm familiar with the book. I've not read okay. it. Okay. It uh, it it was a life changing book for me. Actually, in fact, it was the book that was kind of the impetus for getting me to leave my ex husband. <laughs> It, it's got, it, it's what ta that book taught me that um, somebody doesn't make you angry, you allow yourself to become angry, then uh, things like that. And it just opened my eyes to different ways of seeing things. And that's when I decided I, I don't want to live the rest of my life like this, I'm going to make some changes and, you know, go out there and and it. and it worked for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, uh, I would recommend that was... to anybody. Awesome. We'll put it in the show notes for sure. Um, let, let me ask you this, uh, what, what did you learn from your time with, uh, you know, doing social work and, and working with kids and so forth? What, what, what takeaway did you, did you get from, from that, doing all that type of work? Well, I have, to, I, I learned that I can't save them all <laughs> for one thing. And that's, that's mm -hmm. a harsh realization. And, uh, yeah, that's a that's a difficult one. As you know, I've taken in several of my students, and I consider a, a couple of them to be basically my sons. Um, they've been a part of my life now for, well, Chris has been a part of my life since 2006. Uh, so would you do any of it differently? Um, uh, that's funny because my psychologist, after we went to, Eric and I actually went to a couple counseling sessions after we got rid of the, the narcissistic girl that we took in, the covert narcissist, because not because our marriage was in, in any issue, if anything, it made us even stronger, but, but we just had, I had residual guilt for bringing this basically a, a snake into our house that ended up poisoning us. Uh, I had a lot of guilt from that. And, um, and it was just a lot to deal with. And the counselor said, if, if you were to go back in time and you had the chance to do it again, you would, right? And I was like, yeah, if I didn't know this about her, if I didn't know this was going to happen, yeah, I would. Because that's, you know, that's kind of who I am. And she said, well, then you cannot blame yourself because you did what you knew you needed to do and what you, you know, what your heart told you to do. So that's, that's how I see it. It's... It's a, uh, that's a good point. How useful, how useful has therapy been? Uh, well, that was a three day or three. Yeah, we had three sessions and that, that was pretty useful. That helped me, helped me get over my guilt mainly for bringing that thing into our gotcha. house. Um, but I recently started counseling again. I've tried it three, three times. The first time uh, was over my childhood and I thought I need to work through some of this stuff because you know people tell me I should <laughs> uh, and I don't know how this works but I went to see a counselor and uh, it, it, we didn't I don't know she, she probably should have been like a business owner or something like that she didn't sit right with me and so it didn't go mm -hmm. well she probably broke up with me but just told me I didn't need to come in anymore I don't know how that happened but I think I, I think <laughs> I kind of drove her crazy because I analyze people like you know I do I uh -huh. analyze people. I can't help it. And I would tell her I'm analyzing her. But anyway, that didn't work out. And so then we went to the counselor over the narcissist. And then I recently started counseling again with not a whole lot of high hopes. Um, but I'm going to try this uh, technique called EMDR, eye movement, uh -huh. rapid 
FGS closing. Yep, I'm, You're familiar? I am. Wow, excellent. Yeah, so I, I think I'm going to try that and just see, because even though um, I'd like to think that I've dealt with everything, I think that a lot of things from your childhood, as much as I wish it weren't so, they, they linger on and they come out in ways that you don't even realize they're coming out. And I would say this to parents, in, especially because you're doing things that your parents did and you you don't even know it it's just so such a part of your nature that you don't even know you're doing it and so I you know like with my daughter in particular my dad could not handle any neediness any form of emotion anything like that um so I wasn't the warmest person when my daughter was extremely needy, when she went through an extremely needy stage. I thought I was doing well because I didn't beat my kids, you know? I'm like, look at me, I'm not beating my kids. <laughs> but, uh, but and I, and I think overall I was a, a decent mom, but, but it took me years after she had grown up to look back on that and go, oh my God, I was my dad right there. That was totally oh, yeah. my dad, and I didn't even know. So uh, that's what I would tell parents: you're doing things you don't even know it. Sure, I I I do the same thing, and I see it in myself. And I'm I'm I have to work to change some of those things. Yeah. Uh, and it's a challenge to be self-aware enough to know that you're doing those things. I don't always do it. Uh, you know, my wife and I both, uh, spend time going to our children and apologizing Good. sometimes, you know, because, you know, they need to see that we don't do everything right. Yeah. You know, That's you know, th there is, there's not really any perfection. It, it's, it's just, you know, we're all trying to do our best as best we can. And, and, you know, sometimes we don't get it right. And I don't want them to feel like they have to be perfect. I want them to feel like they can fail and not get things right because that's the only way to move forward. Right. Yeah. And uh, and if you're talking, if you're showing them that you can apologize now, it makes them more open to talking to you in the future. You know, my kids and I have a very good relationship that way. That you know, they're will they're able to come talk to me and say, when you did this, it really hurt my feelings. You know, when I was a kid, this really warped me and <laughs> and things. Mm -hmm. You know, I allow them to tell me these things and there's not a lot I can do now, but it, but apologize. But you know, you do the best you can and hopefully your kids see that and are willing to forgive you your your faults. Well, you know, as, as you were talking earlier, you know, you had said you were talking about, you know, the abuse that you had dealt with growing up and you said something that was very poignant, which is, uh, you know, as a child, you didn't realize that it was different for anyone else. Yeah. And, and, and children are very resilient in that way. And I'm in no way advocating abuse here, but what I'm saying is, is that when you try your best and you give them a loving, uh, area, you know, a safe area to grow up in, uh, you know, that we're all going to screw our kids up in our own unique ways. Uh, that's mm -hmm. a fact. It doesn't matter how hard we try. We're, we're going to get things wrong and we're going to screw them up, you know, a little bit. But like as we were talking earlier, if we can give them the tools to cope with that and learn how to to deal with that, then they're ahead of the game. And, and that's, I think, one of the important pieces. Yeah. Well, before we go, what I'd like to do is just open it up. And, and if there's anything that you would like to say or tell anybody, uh, you know, based on your experiences in life or whatever, I just want to give you the option to do that. Now, also at the same time, you don't have to feel pressure <laughs> to do that. But if there's anything that, that you know, um, that, that you'd like to put out in the world, I want to give you the opportunity. Oh, yeah, actually, um, 
you know that the Myers-Briggs is a driving force in my life. I do. Yeah, and I would just like to put out there for people that I, I do think it's it can be a very useful tool uh, to learn about yourself and to learn about others and to keep you from making some mistakes. I, if I would have known about the Myers-Briggs way back, I would not have married my first husband. I would not have gone into sales. <laughs> I might have mm -hmm. done okay with it, but, uh, but no, um, that was not a good job for me. Uh, yeah, so many things that it can awaken you to. And so it's a, it's, it is kind of still a driving force in my life. Uh, I used it so much with my students that the school paid for me to become certified in it. And I just, if people are typed correctly, they it can make a big difference now people will say that it's uh, it, it's the same as astrology and this kind of thing for effect you know if it, it applies to everybody that kind of thing but uh, it has decades of research behind it it has uh, there are fields that people go into that that they are drawn to because of their personality type and if you can know that before seeking out a, a career that can be useful. It helped me a lot with my son. And so that's why I would pass this on to you guys as, as young parents. Uh, it helped me a lot with my son. And had I known uh, his personality type when he was younger, it would have it would have done a lot for both of us because he is a personality type that is very different from mine. And uh, I should have raised him with a firmer grip so to speak, not the, um, the kind of loving nurturing, but more, <laughs> that's, that's what his personality type needs. But had I known what he was, I would have known that his personality type is the type most likely to drop out of high school, which he did. His personality type is the type most likely out of all 16 types to be taken to counseling for anger issues. He was taken to counseling for anger issues. <laughs> so it's, it, he also has told me that I'm the only person in the world who understands him. And I'm telling you, he was, he was such a foreign being to me until I realized what his type was. And it has helped me relate to him so much better. And I don't feel guilty for him dropping out of high school anymore. And it's, it's, I just think it's such a great tool. So. In regards to and now, I have to ask a question, and I apologize. But uh, what age is the right age to start that type of testing? It's it's difficult with children. You can kind of start getting an idea for whether they're an introvert or an extrovert. You know, you probably mm -hmm. know. Dylan seems introverted to me. In the <laughs> brief time I've spent with him. Well, it, it's funny. He's never met a stranger now. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to get together again so I can, because he came here and he was on, I think he was on the elliptical or something, and I didn't really get a chance to hang out with him, but but I'm sure he's a really cool kid, and I'd like to, I'd like to. He is. He's very sensitive, like his daddy was. Um, so he's, uh, he's a very sensitive child, but he's, uh, he's never met a stranger, and, uh, and he is, he's phenomenal. We'll have to get together again sometime. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for spending your time with us. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate yeah, it, is, uh, taking some time out to do that with us. This is good. I hope there are some valuable things in there. I feel like I rambled a bit, but that's... There's lots of valuable things in there, and uh, there'll be a lot of things that I'm 
believe will be helpful to other people. And there's a lot of things in there will be helpful to me too. So uh, it, it's it's been a very productive uh, experience. So yeah, I just it. thank you again. Maybe maybe uh, maybe we'll have you back uh, and and talk about some other things at a at a later date. Thanks, Elliot. As always, it is a pleasure to talk with Barbara. In fact, we continued talking for, I think, another hour after the interview was over. I sincerely hope that you've enjoyed the interview series as much as I've enjoyed putting it together for you. I've included some links to the Myers-Briggs website in the show notes, and for any of you that would like to take a look into it more, I've also included a link to the uh, Erroneous Zones book Barb mentioned. Uh, it links to the Wikipedia site. Uh, neither link is an affiliate link. I make no money from you viewing either place, uh, clicking on either link, uh, in case anybody was curious about that. I want to thank Barbara again for spending so much of her time with us over the last few weeks. It's really been a pleasure. Coming up on the show, we're going to have some more amazing dragons. Emma Isaacs, who's a favorite artist of mine, a design artist, in fact, will join us. Uh, we're also going to have Dr. Carol Clifton, uh, a psychologist who speaks with us about the impact of COVID-19 on our mental health. And uh, Jared Hanning, he's a TEDx speaker, author, and coach. Uh, and he'll be on to speak with us about thinking differently and why we need a bigger problem to solve. We'll talk with you all real soon. But until then, please don't forget... You might be plain and you might be ordinary, but you're a dragon and we can't wait to hear your voice in this world. Where are the